I'm sorry? Oh, Proverbs 12. Okay, whatever. What chapter do we want to do? 11 or 12? Okay, that works. Are we recording? Cool. According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. I guess Proverbs 12 is where we are this morning. I'm a little out of sorts. You probably ought to pray twice, I think. That might help. <clears throat> Had a little bit of a break. Appreciate my sisters came to town over the weekend, so we canceled the evening services on Sunday. And, and then I had a guest speaker Sunday morning with Lori DeVillas that spoke at the 11 o'clock hour. That was powerful. Did you hear that? That was a powerful class. And, and uh, so I just had the one hour Sunday morning in Philippians and took the rest of the day off and felt like a slug. So uh, no wonder I'm a little rusty here this morning. All right, Proverbs 12. As we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer, asking the Lord to bless our time together, to sanctify our thinking, to feed us from His truth. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the feast that you have supplied for us that we can feast upon. I thank you, Father, that uh, your, your food never gets old, Father. We got uh, some chicken sandwiches in the fridge, but well, it's Wednesday already and they've been there since Sunday and we think since maybe Saturday, so we're not going to risk it, Father, and it just seems better safe than sorry, not trying to, not trying to eat a chicken sandwich that's uh, beyond its expiration. And, and uh, that got me to thinking, Father, that your word never expires and your, your food never gets old, never gets stale. Um, and I thank you for that. I thank you we can feast upon it here this morning and, and you will bless our time of study. And, uh, and I just rejoice that you are so faithful. I thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. Yeah, pretty amazing to, that uh, not only did we have a guest speaker on Sunday, but she came with 108 uh, boxes from, uh, from Chick-fil-A. And I thought, wow, that's, uh, that's amazing. That's, that's a way to very quickly become the most popular guest speaker ever in the history of Austin Bible Church. And uh, appreciate that. All right. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. And uh, the poetry of this and the truth of this, looking at the A part and the B part of this verse and putting it all together, we see the requirement uh, we must have this love of knowledge. And this love of knowledge requires discipline and reproof. If you're not willing to put up with it, then you don't really love knowledge. And I think there's certain people who like knowledge, who want knowledge, who can view knowledge as something useful. Uh, but those are the kind of people that I think qualify under uh, 1 Corinthians 8, that knowledge puffs up but love edifies. And they want a certain level of knowledge just so they can know things, uh, but they don't, they're not growing in grace and knowledge, and they're not embracing the love of God. And, and I think uh, at that point they're, not, they, they're, they're kind of trapped into a gnosis mentality rather than the epinosis, or certainly the oida that God's Word supplies. Uh, because the love of knowledge does require discipline and reproof. And so apart from this blessing, if we don't submit to the discipline and reproof, and if we don't receive the love of the truth uh, so as to be saved, you see, apart from this blessing, we are stupid brutes. 
And uh, so we had some fun with this, looking at the terminology for stupid. He who hates reproof is stupid. And, uh, and it's interesting because you can have information and still be stupid. You can have gnosis and still be stupid. And uh, the issues here is that the, the brutish attitude, the animal-like attitude whereby it is not human. Uh, it is, what is human is in God's image to be, uh, to be centered on the things of God, to have fellowship with the Father and with His Son, to, to be able to rationally think through the truth of His Word as He's revealed it. Uh, the, the Christian way of life is our rational service of worship. And so uh, the blessings that we have in the image of God to operate at the level of humanity as He created us, as He designed us, is uh, so far above that, that animal realm. And so uh, we had the word studies here on Musar and Tokachath and uh, dealt with the discipline and the reproof. Talk about the Ba'ar, the idea of being senseless and stupid. And uh, the Ba'ar that is uh, almost like, I don't know, silly old bear. You can think of Ba'ar as bear if that helps you in any way. Uh, But you have to remember that your bear has has an apostrophe in the middle of it. So it's Ba'ar in the Hebrew. And, uh, and it does. It's, it's senseless or stupid. It is, it is uh, the irrational, mindless uh, animal existence. And uh, this is what humanity falls into when we abandon the truth of the Word of God. And so uh, Psalm 49.10, Proverbs 12.1, of course, where we are today, and then Proverbs 30 and verse 2. Did we look at all those? We wrapped those up last week? I think so. All right. From there we move on to the grace of God and the condemnation of God. And so we get our look now at Proverbs 12, 2. A good man will obtain favor from the Lord, but he will condemn a man who devises evil. A good man will obtain favor from the Lord, but he, will con- but he that is the Lord, will condemn a man who devises evil. And so we have contingence. We have, um, I don't want to say conditional, I think that my slide originally said conditionally targeted and I changed it to contingently targeted. And, uh, and when you study it out, when you understand uh, some of these things that we look at logically and we look at in terms of uh, choices and consequences, counterfactuals and alternative consequences, these are the things that God incorporates within His plan. And so I think it's important for us to use language that coincides with language that you might encounter, for example, if you were to encounter it in theological literature or in philosophical, liter- uh, philosophical literature, uh, the idea of a contingent decision. And it's not something that diminishes God or His sovereignty. It's something that magnifies God and His sovereignty. It's something that I think exalts the glory of God that He has the, the infinite number of contingent uh, foreknowledge that encompasses an infinite number of contingent possibilities in terms of choices that He has to make. Because God Himself makes His sovereign choices in every one of those contingent realities. And uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll get a good picture for that here as well. And so clearly we have this, this two-sided aspect of blessing and cursing, and we've studied it as, as well. He's opposed to the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And we, we recognize this, that God operates on this basis, that He Himself is unchanging, but His creatures are constantly changing. He Himself is absolute, but His creatures are very relative. And uh, so angels that express negative volition or humans that express negative volition, uh, that we make choices that are contrary to the will of God. 
And so God then makes his choices, and he makes his choices contingently, all right? Contingently. And so if you, you can think about it as an if then, if we do this, then that, if we do this, then that, okay? And it's all throughout the scriptures. It's all throughout, it's the language of, of the Mosaic law, for example. If you do this, I will bless you. If you do that, I will curse you. And so the contingent language of if, all right, is, is, is an important study. And it's one that I think some people do well and some people do poorly. And when they do it poorly, I think it takes you to some bad places. And uh, we want to be, be careful about that, all right? And, and clearly, you've got a verse like this, a good man will obtain favor from the Lord, but he will condemn a man who devises evil. And you think, okay, boom, black and white, there it is. The problem is, though, I think you can handle it poorly and then you misapply things and that gets you into trouble, see? God is not a slave to us, uh, that His sovereignty is not bound by our volition. So we can't, we can't make a bunch of good choices and then say, well, God, now you're, on, you're bound then to bless us. See, that's prosperity theology. That's name it and claim it. That's say, well, you do good things and God has to do good things for you. And, and then that leaves us jaded and that leaves us blaming God for we've done some good things here lately and it seems like we're still getting discipline. We're still getting tests. We're still getting cars breaking down. We're still getting health tests. Uh, all these problems are coming in. And we want to shake our fist at God and say, God, you're not true to this, this verse. I haven't been devising evil. I'm not a bad person. I've been doing good things, right? And so we want to be careful that we don't reduce God's contingent operations to the point where they are subservient to our choices, okay? Did I say that right? I did. God's contingent operations are, are, not, are not at all subservient to our choices. Because God has so many contingent operations, layers within layers, wisdom upon wisdom, long-term plans that work themselves out through countless short-term plans and agencies. All right? And so uh, beyond our capacity to think these things through. And, uh, and, and sadly, this is what happens when, uh, when humans start to get resentful and start to, to think that God owes them something because they've been a good boy. All right. And they've got a streak going for, you know, you put a few good weeks together. I had a coworker ask me this one time. He said, does God, are, are there brownie points in heaven? Can, does God track brownie points? Because I've had a few good weeks. Does that count anything if, if I've got a, you know, a rough spot coming up? And I knew exactly what he was talking about because every carnal mind wants to do this. You know, that you know, there's a sin coming up and you're thinking about doing it. And so can you kind of preemptively, you know, cover for that sin up ahead? You know, you know it's going to happen. You know it's going to be a problem. So, you know, you, you just go for a few weeks ahead of time to kind of even that out. No. If you're preemptively planning that, then guess what? All that other phony goodness you thought was going to count for something was phony goodness. And God sees through that too. See, which makes this whole stupid Lent season ridiculous, right? I mean, here we are. Did you go out last night and party for Fat Tuesday? And, and uh, you know, you get the total get-out-of-jail-free card thing because whatever sins you did last night don't count. Hey, that's all off the table. You just have to go through Lent now. And Anyway, it just bugs me to tears. So, issues on this. I think it's uh, good for us to understand the uh, favor that happens here. A good man will obtain favor from the Lord. 
favors a study that we have done previously because it came up in Proverbs 8. And uh, I don't know how strongly we stressed it, but um, it, it was there in Proverbs 8.35 in that powerful chapter that talks about the humanity of our Savior. So it's ratzone, right? Or ratzone, making the longer A sound there. Ratzone, R-A-T-S-O-W-N, ratzone. Number 7522 is a strong concordance number. And it's used a lot, 56 uses in the, in the Old Testament. So it's not going to be a very short word study for you. But when you find so many of them are in Leviticus and you find very quickly the, the way in which the term is used, you understand that the idea of favor, yes, it's a grace expression. And sometimes we use grace and favor interchangeably, at least as far as English goes. And sometimes we use favor as a word to define grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Okay? But, but still, grace is grace, and grace is not a pure synonym for ratzon. Okay? And this is not chesed, and this is not you know, other terms that we might have for grace, chen or other expressions, right? This is the favor that may or may not be gracious. This might be favor that is earned. This might be favor that is deserved. This might be favor that is unearned. Okay? All that Ratzon speaks of is favor. And it speaks of acceptability. It speaks of something that is a delight. And so if it's used as a noun, sometimes it's rendered as favor or delight. If it's used as an adjective, it might be favorable or acceptable, right? Or delightful. Um, they can, we can render it different ways as, as a noun and as an adjective just based on how we're using it in the, sense, in the sentence. But in these Levitical uses, you'll note that they all have to do with acceptability, that we want, <coughs> we want our, our sacrifices to be acceptable to God, acceptable to Him, and uh, not something that, that stinks, something that is pleasant, something that is agreeable. So if his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer it a male without defect. He shall offer it at the doorway of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. May be wrought sown before the Lord. Accepted, pleasant, favorable. And the reason why the Levitical sacrifices were acceptable is because of what they pictured, what they portrayed. Innocent blood was being shed. And that's a picture of, the, of God's beloved Son in whom He's well pleased. That innocent blood will be shed on the cross. And so as a foreshadowing of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, these offerings, if they were brought in the right way for the right reasons, were acceptable. Sweet-smelling savor in, uh, in the sight of God. Uh, 19.5, also in Leviticus. 19.5. When you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. By extension, if your offering is accepted, you are accepted, right? Why is it that we are accepted before God? Because the offering of Jesus Christ was accepted before God. And so the follow-through to the acceptable sacrifice is the acceptable person. We are acceptable, having been redeemed by the acceptable sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And uh, notice, uh, it shall be eaten the same day you offer it, and the next day. But what remains until the third day shall be burned with fire. So here's a sanctification of leftovers. <laughs> All right. On the day, on the next day, but on, not on the third day. Why is the third day significant? Okay, well, 
for a lot of reasons, not only for leftovers, but for, um, but for the fact that Jesus Christ is raised on the third day. That if we're going to be partakers of a sacrifice, if we're going to identify with his death, the limit to that is the, the, the time frame in which he stayed dead, okay? Because it was on the third day that he rose again. And uh, there's shadows and pictures there of a truth that we can glean in the, uh, in the uh, information here. Over to Leviticus 22. I confessed on Sunday that Leviticus is not one of my most fam- favorite books of the Bible. In fact, I think it's pretty much it ranks in the top 66 uh, of, of books that I would teach someday. Not to say that I'm afraid of it or intimidated by it, but it is, it is, it's a tough book and, uh, in particular. And yet, isn't it amazing? It's, it's, it's up in the top of the charts as far as Robert Jewell is concerned. He loves Leviticus, and he loves teaching Christ in Leviticus, and he loves teaching all the shadows of things that, that come out for us in a New Testament reality. And, and he's taught it in, in, in prison, and he's taught it in, in before he went to prison and in a different church. And, and uh, who knows if uh, this may be a blessing for us at some point of time. But uh, anyway, Leviticus 22, verse 19 uh, again, there's procedures here, backing up to verse 17. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, to all the sons of Israel, and say to them, Any man of the house of Israel, or of the aliens in Israel, notice, people that are not Israel, but they're there, okay, who presents his offering, whether it is of their votive or their free will offerings, which they present to the Lord for a burnt offering, for you to be accepted, it must be a male without defect from the cattle of the sheep or the goats. Well, what's wrong with the females? Why does it have to be a male? And, uh, you know, what's wrong with the defect? If it's got a broken leg, who cares? You're offering it anyway. God cares. Because this is painting a picture. Jesus Christ is without sin, without blemish. In fact, not a bone of him, a bone of him shall be broken. And that's a prophecy that's fulfilled with him on the cross. So if it has a defect, you shall not offer it. And uh, anyway, there's more on this, down to verse 20, 21, 29, all throughout this, the idea is so that you may be accepted, ratzon. The idea is acceptability. Favor is acceptability. Finally, 2311. And there's a wave offering. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when you enter the land, which I'm going to give you uh, to, uh, to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring in the sheaf and the first fruits of your harvest to the priests. The first fruits, the very first harvest. Okay, And the principle is you're giving up front. And early in the harvest, you don't know how full the harvest is going to be, do you? You don't know how abundant it's going to be. It doesn't say bring in the whole thing and then kind of gauge what you can afford to give. (laughs) It says the first gleanings, the first fruits. You're offering to the Lord in faith. And um, you shall bring in the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord for you to be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, one year old, without defect, for a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour with, an oil, with oil, an offering by fire to the Lord. So you have grain as well as. Okay? And then notice, um, with a drink offering, 
a fourth of a hen of wine. There's a drink offering. And some of this is what we talked about on Sunday in the introduction to Philippians. Paul talked about being poured out as a drink offering uh, on top of or together with the uh, offering that the Philippians were bringing, the service and sacrifice of their faith. And, uh, and so it's a good opportunity to see what's the connection here between the, the, the offerings and the, the, the meat offering and the wave offering and the grain offering and the drink offering and how do these all come together and who keeps these things straight without your head exploding, okay? All the details and, uh, and that. All right, over to Psalms then, Psalm 1914. Psalm 1914. So the key is acceptability. And the neat thing about acceptability is it's the favor in the eyes of God, accepted in the eyes of God. We are accepted in the eyes of God. Each one of us is accepted in the eyes of God. We have the attitude one to another that uh, we are all accepted in the eyes of God. It, it hinders us from developing mental attitude sin against our brothers and our sisters because, you know, how am I going to tear down this one when they're accepted in the eyes of God? Why, who do I think I am tearing them down in, uh, in this way? Psalm nineteen fourteen. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be wrought sown in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Isn't that a beautiful verse? Love that verse for years, okay? And this is what it wants to be. Not just our deeds, but our thinking. The thinking that precedes our doing. The words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be wrought sown in your sight. Acceptable in your sight. Psalm 40. I think we know most of these, and we know the concept. Maybe we just didn't know that it's wrought sown. Psalm 40 in verse 8. And there's a long context for this, but um, wow, where to start? It's Davidic, and then of course it's, uh, so it represents his life, but then it's also prophetic as it pictures Christ, the greater son of David. So verse 4 says, How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust, has not turned to the proud, nor to those who lapse into falsehood. True in David's life, and prophetically true of Jesus' life. Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders which you have done, and your thoughts toward us. There is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. And see, this is what gets quoted in Hebrews, Hebrews 10, with respect to Jesus. Um, Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. That's how it gets translated into into, uh, Hebrews. And uh, this is the picture of Christ on the cross, right? And, and the opening of the ear, what was that about? This is the slave that doesn't want to be free. This is the slave that says, I'm yours forever. I will be yours forever. I'm constantly the slave of the Lord, of the, Lord the, the bondservant of the Lord. And, uh, and that. Then I said, behold, I come in the scroll of the book that is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. And this is Jesus going to the cross to purchase our eternal life. He's come to do his will. And so uh, when it says, I delight to do your will, it is my rot's own. 
the will of God is a ratzon to me, and uh, it is delightful, even if it's uh, even if it's humanly unpleasant. Being crucified is not a pleasant thing to physically have happen to you, but doing the will of God is a ratzon to Jesus Christ, and uh, and this is why we can adjust our thinking to God's thinking. We can say, "Not our will, but Thine be done." Because if I had my preference, I'd say, "Take this cup from me," but not my will, but Thine be done. And this is, what, this is what makes it pleasant. We can rejoice in all things when the will of God is pleasant, even if the things we're rejoicing in by themselves would not be joyful. And we should be rejoicing in everything, everything give thanks for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. These principles require us to understand the foundation of what we're given here in, uh, in the book of Proverbs. So that's Psalm 40 in verse 8. Psalm 69 in verse 13. You get more ratzon. As for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at a ratzon time, an acceptable time. O God, in the greatness of your loving kindness, answer me with your saving truth. And so uh, whenever he chooses, okay, whenever he chooses in his timing, <laughs> it's, uh, it's going to be an acceptable time, acceptable to God, uh, just as my prayer is acceptable. And if it's too soon, that's not acceptable. Man, and I would like it to be now, okay? This is, this is not too soon, Lord. Now is great. And the Lord says, nope, it's not acceptable. Now is too soon. If I answer now, then your faith is not developed as strongly as it needs to be. Your trust is not developed as strongly as it needs to be. My glory is diminished. If I answer now, there's folks that haven't seen it yet. If I answer now, it's far too soon. And so the testing has to go on because it's not yet wrought sown. And the diminished glory, the diminished ministry, the diminished fruit, you say, well, I, I don't like it. It's too long. And it's, it, that's irrelevant. What we like, our druthers, our preferences, it's, it's the glory of Jesus Christ. It's not our comfort level. This is what he's bringing about. All things are created through him and for him. And so if that means that I need a prolonged test, I need prolonged discomfort, I need prolonged pain, there's testing that folks are going through, and I think, you know, how long? How long is this going to last? When I think of the Pinson's daughter, how long? You know, um, other people that go through this for, for years at a time, how long? Well, the answer will come at a favorable time, and it's favorable to the Lord, and we can appreciate that. Uh, Psalm uh, 139, no, 145. Psalm 145. Verses 16 and 19. So uh, let's see. So much in this psalm. Uh, starting with verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all. His mercies are over all His works. I think the wicked don't even realize the goodness of God that they are uh, receiving until the lake of fire when even that is going to be a goodness and a mercy. Even the lake of fire because it's, a, it's an eternal abode that's suitable to their darkened souls. 
All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. You know, that's the whole reason why we are called that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the more uh, His power is poured out through us in our weakness, the more we can declare His uh, mighty acts. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord sustains all who fall and He raises up all who, who are bowed down. He recognizes that. He's opposed to the proud. He gives grace to the humble. He's there for you. His grace is sufficient. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due time. Not too late, not too soon, not too much, not too little. What you need and when you need it. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. And this is the favor. This is what's acceptable and well, uh, well received. Uh, verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His deeds. Well, I got to use that the other day in a family funeral I attended, uh, trying to encourage a family member there. The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. That is so key. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. He will hear their cry. He will save them. And so in verse 19, we've got another rot zone in fulfilling their desire. The Lord keeps all who love Him, but the wicked He will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh will bless His holy name forever and ever. So there it is. All right, uh, Proverbs 8.35. Are these verses jogging your memory? Do you remember when we did this back in chapter 8? We have done a rot zone study before. All right, Proverbs 8.35. Now keep in mind, This is the conclusion to the chapter that describes for us the birthing of the humanity of Christ. This is the chapter that details for us the hypostatic union, how uh, humanity was birthed, how the Father begat the human nature of the Son, invested that in the Son, and then delighted in the Son. All right? And so we see this here in verse 30. I was beside him as a master workman. I was daily his delight, playing or rejoicing always before him. You know, every parent delights in seeing the, the, the child playing before them, rejoicing in the world, his earth, and having my delight in the sons of men. And so we have delight, delight, delight throughout this text. But then it comes to um, the related favor down to verse 35. He who finds me finds life. The only way to have life is to find Jesus Christ. He who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. We're acceptable because we found Him. (laughs) We're not acceptable ourselves. None of us are acceptable before the Lord. But if we find Jesus Christ, guess what? We found life and we are acceptable. We find favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me injures himself. And those who hate me love death. Remember, the light came into the world, but men hated the light. They loved darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. If you reject Jesus Christ, what do you expect? This is the, uh, the unpardonable sin. This is the rejection of Christ. This is the, the one thing that will send anybody to the lake of fire. 
the rejection of Jesus Christ. And there it is. So we had it in Proverbs 8.35, and then notice we get it 13 times. We get it 13 times in between Proverbs 10 and Proverbs 19 in these immediate chapters that we're looking at here in 10 through 19, right? The first chunk of 10 through 24, the personal and public wisdom here. 13 times Ratzon is featured. 13 times. And it's, it's a curiosity to me as far as what is, um, what is a motivation for personal wisdom and what is a motivation for public wisdom and what is a motivation for life, you know, adults in life. And it's, it's, it's curious to me because I've got, um, we're right now at this hinge in our life, in our family where uh, we've, you know, with four kids and two that have left home and two that are still at home. And, and you know, so you get this generation that steps out and then they start to see things and they start to encounter things and then they, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting because there's things that you can't wait to, you think you're so much older than you, you think you're so ready and you think that, you know, and you think this and you think this and, you, and, and then you get out there and, and now you're, you're thinking other things. <laughs> and now you're rethinking and now you're, you're, you know, it's interesting. And so then, you know, things happen and you, you know, I don't want to be an adult, <laughs> that kind of thing. And I get that because I've been there. I won't, I'll leave it anonymous. Maybe I'm making the whole story up so you can't point to one of my children. And, uh, you know, but when you think about favorability and, and the rot zone concept may be the best thing to teach to, to bring that young person into their adult standing and to show, you know what, acceptability, favorability, this is what we're dealing with. And it's no longer, uh, I mean, it's not in the eyes of men. We want to be favorable in the eyes of God. We want to be walking according to the will that finds favor in the eyes of God. And, and in some ways, you know, a child that just lives to make their parents happy, a child that lives because they want to find favor with their parents. That's a good thing. I'm not knocking that, but that is a picture of if I want to be pleasing to my earthly father, I want to go past that and be pleasing to my heavenly father. If I'm pleasing to my earthly mother, I want to go past that. I want to be pleasing to God. I want to be pleasing in His sight. And and if we we don't make that next step, I I think we set ourselves up for a whole lot of heartache. We spend our lives trying to please our spouse or trying to please our boss or trying to please other people, trying to please our government, trying to please, you know, and so how many people spend their whole lives trying to find favor in the eyes of men when it's about the rot's own, the favor in the eyes of God? And, and it may be that because of testing and undeserved suffering that when we find favor in the eyes of God, men are going to hate us. It may be that we have a boss that just absolutely despises everything we stand for. That's fine. We want to be pleasing in the eyes of God, see. And so I think it's not, it's not a surprise to me that we have these 13 uses in Proverbs 10 through 19 here, all right? And so um, I don't have on the slide what those uses are, but uh, we can get them here really quickly. Let's just go to uh, Proverbs 12, 2. I'll show you how we do this. And I'll even turn off my Septuagint and Hebrew. So we'll just look at the 
English. And you can tell I've been coloring. I have little visual filters then that highlight things. Just because there's such a contrast back and forth between righteous and wickedness, and it's just everywhere in these chapters. Um, so here's the rat zone favor. Rat zone search this resource. And uh, that's the whole Bible, so we'll just limit it to Proverbs. There they are. And if you want something else fun to do, you can send this to a um, inline search. And now we have a Bible that's nothing but Rot's own verses in Proverbs. So that's kind of fun. You talk about a way to read a bunch of verses really quickly. This is a, this is a little Bible window and it's like the only thing this Bible consists of are those Rot's own verses from Proverbs. So Proverbs 12.2, where we started our study today, a good man will obtain favor from the Lord, but he will condemn a man who devises evil. Uh, 12.22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are his delight. Remember, he's the God of truth, and, uh, and that's what faithfulness is about. Switch from verse to search result here, and we'll arrow down. Proverbs 14, 9, fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is, and there it's translated goodwill, but it's favor, it's right's own. Proverbs 14, 35, the king's favor is toward a servant who acts wisely, but his anger is toward him who acts shamefully. A little bit of a different contrast there. Proverbs 15, 8, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight, his right's own. And you might recall uh, in the past when we've discussed abomination, the, the attitude behind abomination is distance. You're pushing something away. It's abhorrent to you. You want it as far away from you as possible, right? You push it as far away, you get it at arm's length, and then you wish you had longer arms because <laughs> so you could push it further. You just, you want it, you know, not even a 10-foot pole, you know, that's, that's, you're pushing it away, okay? Whereas Ratzon, you're hugging it. Rot's home, it's, it's pleasant, it's delightful, it's, it's accepted, and you want to draw it closer. You want more of it. You want, uh, you know, you want that. All right. And uh, so that's the, the imagery behind the rot zone, and it is in stark contrast and to, antithetical to the imagery of abomination. Righteous lips are the delight of kings, but he who speak and and he who speaks right is love. This is a synthetic parallelism. They're both saying the same thing, but in two different ways. So righteous lips are the delight of kings. Kings, uh, they, 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 who do they want? Do they want the the, uh, the advisors and counselors that just tell them what they want to hear, or the the, the advisors that tell them righteous things that, that speak the truth and love? He who speaks right is loved. Proverbs 16, 15, in the light of a king's face is life, and his favor is like a cloud with the spring rain. Proverbs 18, 22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Use that in most of my weddings, many of my weddings, at least the most recent ones. Proverbs uh, 19, 12, the king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. 
And so there they are. Those are all the usages then in, uh, in Proverbs. And other than that one in 8.35, um, talking about accepting Christ for eternal life and, and the gospel, other than that one, Rot's own, in, in chapter 8.35, all the rest of these are in, in 10 through 19 in the personal and public wisdom portion of the book of uh, Proverbs. Also, one final use beyond uh, Leviticus, Psalms, and Proverbs is Isaiah 61.2. I think it's useful to know this one as well because it connects so well with prophecy and eschatology and our studies here in the life of Christ. Isaiah 61.2. Remember, this is... Um, Isaiah 61 is the chapter that Jesus preached from when he was in the, the synagogue in, in uh, Capernaum. And they handed him a scroll and he stands up and he reads it. And he's reading from Isaiah 61. He says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is verse 1 of Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. That's what Mashiach is. That's the Christ. He is the anointed one. And the Lord has anointed him to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the ratzon, the favorable year of the Lord. And then he stopped. Now verse 2 doesn't stop there. Verse 2 goes on. But that's where Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped with the ratzon. He stopped with a favorable year of the Lord. And then he rolls up the scroll and he hands it back to the attendant and then he takes his seat and then he's ready. The, the tradition is you, you stand to read and then you sit and now you're going to teach and explain and preach and illustrate and whatnot, okay? Elucidate in the, in the rabbinic mode, okay? So, um, but he stopped rather short after a verse and a third of a second verse hands it back to the attendant and then the attendant will typically mark it where and then that's where they pick up reading the next time. And so Jesus then sits down and what does he say? Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Because everything in verse 1 and the first part of verse 2 there is first advent and is fulfillment but the rest is second advent. The remainder points ahead to the, the vengeance. It points ahead to uh, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes. So this takes you into to vengeance. It takes you into tribulation, a millennium, the day of the Lord, the thousand years, okay? It takes you into all of that. He stopped it one-third of the way through verse 2. That is, is a beautiful thing. Okay, that's our pattern. That's our role model. That's our, that's our hermeneutic right there. We learn how to rightly divide the word of truth. We start with this. We start with how did Jesus do it? How did he handle the scriptures? How did he handle prophecy? Based on fulfilled and not yet fulfilled. Okay, in, uh, in a distinction that can be found there. But the favorable year of the Lord, the Ratzon year of the Lord, this is proclaimed. And you talk about how Jesus came at the fullness of the times born of a virgin, okay? And he went to the cross. The, the crucifixion was at the key moment of human history whereby God made the provision. He made the provision for all of us to be wrought sown in his sight. Anyway, it's a significant verse and I wanted to share that with you, okay? So a delight is a favorable, acceptable thing which impels someone to embrace it close. 
My niece was here for the weekend, and we did a lot of embracing, <laughs> a lot of embracing. And it was a delightful, favorable thing to, uh, she's five now, it's hard to imagine. So for the weekend, uh, normally I'm Pastor Bob, but this weekend I was Uncle Bob, and that was pretty cool. So, All right, the second part of verse 2, Mazima, Mazima. And uh, let me get back and remind myself here. Verse 2. Um, he, who, uh, he will condemn a man who devises evil. He will condemn a man who creates an evil plot, an evil mazima. All right. Mazima. Uh, number 4209, this is the, the translated here in this verse, it's translated um, devises. And because it has an adjective here with it, it's devising of evil. It's not always, it doesn't have to be a wicked thing. Sometimes it's a very positive thing. The idea of devising something um, can be a very positive thing. With, with our human creativity, we can in, be inventive and creative and imaginative and and problem solving and and it's 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 actually it's a beautiful process if it's directed towards the right aim but if it's directed towards the wrong thing and then we become inventors of evil we become divisors of wickedness and that's not a good thing and so when you think about this noun mazima and it comes from a root verb zama and um you just tack the prefix meme in front of it to give it the uh the form here as a noun. But it speaks of discretion or purpose. It can be a very positive thing. God does a lot of things according to His purpose. And obviously that's not wicked. God has a great purpose. Um, we, we, have, we should come up with our own purposes and we should align our purposes with God's purposes. So the noun itself is not intrinsically bad, but clearly in the context and when you can connect it with an adjective like wicked, then yeah, then that pinpoints it. Okay. But when you think about discretion as well, discretion, purpose, plot, it's kind of, it kind of rolls up all three concepts in one word, depending on its context and depending on its use. And, and we've actually, even in the introduction of Proverbs, it was, this is what started the whole study way back in the day in Proverbs 1-4, that um, discretion is a good thing. And we want wisdom literature to give us discretion. <coughs> Uh, the purpose, if, if a young man or young woman, if a young person studies Proverbs, this is what it's going to do for them. To receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, that's a good thing, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. Dachath and mazima. Mazima is a good thing here. The youth need it. See? And so discretion is a good thing. You want a good discretion. Uh, if you don't have discretion, then you get into trouble. And a young person gets into trouble. And we want to be able to shape them with the Word of God where a young person will have the kind of discretion to be able to, to walk honorably and apply wisdom and glorify Jesus Christ and bear fruit. There's a certain discretion that will do that. But then there's a harmful discretion. There's a harmful discretion that, that views problems as um as uh, as a as a target as a vulnerability as something that can be manipulated okay 
And it's the same it's the same concept really, but it's just targeted in different ways, motivated by different things, right? Um, we want to have, for example, um, as a pastor, as a shepherd, as a, uh, and any believer can make this application, but you, you, you encounter a brother, you encounter a sister, you realize, you know, this is, this is, this is someone in, in turmoil, this is, this is a, a brother or a sister, especially a sister, and they've got a, 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 a soul damage. They've got some vulnerability. They've got, and, and you realize, you know what? We need a, a maximum amount of love. We need a maximum amount of comfort. We need a maximum amount of, of ministry. Um, You've got to have the discretion to be able to, to minister there. Uh, you realize it's, it's a sensitive issue. I uh, just you're not going to blab it to the whole flock, right? But, but you're going to have a discretion to be able to tenderly minister there. Maybe find another sister to bring alongside, someone that, that, that can serve in that capacity and minister and so forth. All of that's on the positive thing as, a, as an appropriate degree of discretion, okay? But what happens if the preacher is a, is a, is a snake? What if he's a manipulative sort? What if he looks at this and says, hey, <laughs> I can work on this, all right? Here's a, here's a girl that needs, you know. And so he seduces her. He, he, he pulls on her emotions, and, he, and she's just set up and primed to fail. And, and he realizes that he can manipulate that, and he can work on that, and he showers her with attention and all this, and she's craving it anyway. And, and man, so you see where I'm going with this? All right. Because Scripture describes this. Scripture describes this, and I think we've seen this. We've seen this in life. We've seen this in movies and read this in books. All right? Again, some of my illustrations are anonymous and uh, bear no connection with my family or reality. Okay? Um, but it's a snare. And so it's discretion either way. Right? And, and I think it's not wrong to use the word discretion but it may be more helpful if we can connect it with some other helping words to really reflect upon whether it's a godly discretion or a wicked discretion. It's like a godly jealousy versus a carnal jealousy. Um, it's the same word. It's just whether it's the fear of the Lord or not the fear of the Lord. If it's the fear of the Lord or if it's, you know, human lust. Okay? And so the, the wicked discretion is human lust. The wicked purpose is human lust. The wicked plotting is human lust. Whereas in the sanctified sense, the uh, sanctified mazima is all with the fear of the Lord and all with uh, the appropriate applications. Proverbs 2.11 as well. And in these early years, he's uh, 2.11, discretion will guard you, understanding will watch over you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things. And you want our children, our young people, need to develop this kind of discretion where when they're, when they're getting tempted into doing something, they, eh, no. They've got the discretion of wisdom to step away and say, I'm not taking part in that. It's an appropriate discretion. Chapter 3 and verse 21, My son, let them not vanish from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. They will be life to your soul and adornment to your neck. Parents can't always follow you around, but if you've got this kind of discretion at that moment of temptation, it's going to serve you well. Proverbs 5, 2. 
My son, verse 1 says, My son, give attention to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. You know, you've got to be grounded in the Word of God. Have you noticed in every single one of these passages, the doctrinal grounding comes first? It has to. The only way you can have the Word of God treasured in your heart and prepared and your soul prepared and that soul prepared, it can't come as a remedial thing after the fact, right? You can't, uh, you can't have the lips of the seductress and the, the adulteress and all the, you know, that's all hitting you. And so then you're thinking, hmm, I wonder what the Word of God says about this. Okay, uh, too late, <laughs> too late. You should have prepped beforehand before this te- temptation hit you. All right. Finally, chapter 8 and verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. And so this is what searches it out. You think, wait a minute, we're the ones that find knowledge and discretion. Don't we find it if we're walking in His wisdom? No, wisdom finds it and then relates it to us. And I'm delighted for that because there's an infinite amount of things that I don't know and I can't know them all right now. I can't know everything right now. And so of all the vast universe of things I don't know yet, wisdom is selecting, wisdom is finding the knowledge to give me today. And the knowledge wisdom finds and the knowledge wisdom gives me today is wisdom's good business and pleasure to to feed me today. Same thing with the discretion. Wisdom is going to find the discretion that I need today and is going to provide that for me. Now those are positive examples contra, in contrast with, okay, 12, 2, 14, 17, and 24, 8. In the three remaining uses here in Proverbs, they're all wicked. Wicked examples of mazima, such as 12, 2, where we started this here this morning. The um, because it's devising evil. Our discretion is for evil purposes. So he will condemn the uh, the uh, evil discretionary one. Okay, fourteen seventeen. See another example of a bad one here. Uh, a quick-tempered man acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. And so those are, that's complementary as well, a synthetic parallelism. They're both um, statements that connected here. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly. So here's a guy, not using doctrine, just responds to an impulse, quick temper, something happens and boom, he's just going to react, not going to think it through at all, not going to use doctrine. So clearly that's a problem. But now in the second half of the verse, it's also a problem. He's not quick-tempered, but still, what's, what are we looking at? He's not using doctrine either. <laughs> what's he doing? He's thinking it through, but he's thinking it through maliciously. He's thinking it through with a carnal discretion. All right? So he's not quick-tempered and just responding immediately. He's plotting this revenge, okay? The dish that's best served cold. He's, he's scheming. He's plotting this out. Not using God's wisdom, not using doctrine, all right? And both sides, the hot-tempered guy that just goes off without thinking, and then the cold-tempered guy that thinks through with the wicked plotting. 
and he finds the way to accomplish his evil devices. Yeah, neither one is, is uh, what we want to be. Proverbs 24 and verse 8. One who plans to do evil, and that's your mazima, the, the, the mazima of evil, men will call a schemer, a schemer. You know, you do this often enough and you get a label. You get the nickname attached to this. It becomes your reputation, your name as a mazima of evil. Not a good thing. Not a good thing at all. All right. Well, that gets us to verse 3, which we'll save for next week. God's provision is for a fixed stability. God's uh, provision is for a fixed stability. So anyway, well, good. We got through a verse. Did I say last week I thought we were going to start speeding up? I don't know. If we do a verse every week, that's not speeding up. (laughs) So anyway, we'll see what the Lord's going to do with it and uh, go through with this. A man will not be established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous will not be moved. And so we talk about our fixed stability and what a blessing that it is to be stable in uh, the Word of God. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for these blessings. Open the eyes of our understanding, Father, that we understand what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. We understand the blessings of, uh, of a sanctified discretion the righteous discretion and the fear of the Lord. We want that, Father. We want your word to shape us in that. And then uh, to be so mindful in, in guarding against the carnal discretion, the, the carnal mazima. Oh, Father, we want no part of that. And um, Father, it is, uh, it is a mark of, of uh, thankfulness that we are in your image, that you are the creator, and we, are, and we have a human creativity in your image, Father, that, that can devise and plot and scheme. Uh, but we want that inventiveness to be, to be redeemed for the glory of Jesus Christ. We want that inventiveness to be in the, the creativity that writes a song or that, that uh, finds a, a realm of service or turns our creativity into, into something useful in, in uh, any number of ministry applications. Because, um, Father, we realize that Human creativity directed towards uh, carnality is, is, uh, is horrendous, Father. Inventors of evil and subject to increasing degrees of your wrath and your judgment. So, Father, uh, open our eyes to those realities as well. Give us the right discretion and uh, cause us to flee from the wrong applications. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.